If you can uh, go ahead and turn to the book of Galatians, chapter uh, 1 is where we'll start. We won't spend much time there, but that's where you can start off. In preparation for this morning, um, I had a difficult time. My wife's smiling at me. Lots of reasons why I had a difficult time, but one of the things that... Uh, this yesterday, I was, I was trying to kind of put everything together that I had studied and just thoughts that had come to mind throughout the past week and even some previously before and even some from further on than that just because this is something that I've really been thinking about and lots of discussions at home about this particular subject and lots of subjects or lots of conversations with friends about this subject of what, why Christians need the gospel. And I guess one of the things that really kind of floored me yesterday as I was thinking through this was it's you know it's one thing to come and teach it. It's and as you're thinking about it, you you kind of come to this place where you, you know you have to teach it and that really becomes what your uh, preparation for your sermon is all about just getting kind of the nuts and bolts together. And then it just floored me that um my great need for the gospel too and just the longing to have these truths penetrate my life and to see these truths penetrate the church um you know i get 35 minutes or so to cover this topic and i will tell you that the whole of scripture really covers this topic and it's just it in one sense, it's kind of disappointing that all you have is 35 minutes because there's so much that I really want to say. Um, there's so much that I believe the Scripture teaches, and there's so many things that you know you'll you'll probably miss out on um, from not necessarily hearing it here. But I just encourage you to to go home even after today's message and just kind of explore the idea of why you as a believer still need the gospel. You know, the the, the thing that we've done within the church is oftentimes separate evangelism and discipleship. And in doing so, what we've kind of come to believe, and, and we, don't, we don't really believe this, we know what is true, but the gospel is only necessary for those who are lost and not those who are saved. We, so we separate the two, and the gospel really just becomes all about the presentation. Um, and and in a sense, there is a presentation. There's a message there. The gospel simply means the good news, and it's uh, particularly the good news of Jesus Christ. And one of the ways that we have learned in the youth group to share that gospel is with the, the a, a gospel um, acronym, God created us to be with him. Our sins separate us from God. Um, sins cannot be removed by good deeds. Paying the price for sin, Jesus died and rose again. Everyone who believes in Jesus Christ has eternal life, and life with Christ starts now and forever. In a nutshell, that is the gospel. And, and we, we, we've probably shared something very similar with others, and we've seen others put their faith in trust um, through, because of that message. But then that is it in one sense for the gospel. We've kind of done, we've let the gospel do its work, and now we move on to something else. And this morning, I, I want to show you what I believe Scripture shows and something that's just very common, what we tend to move on to. Um, this isn't the only thing, but it's all I have time to cover, uh, unless you guys want to stay till 2, and 
I can come up with some more things. I'll, I'll finish by 12, I promise. So if you turn to uh, Galatians, if you're not already there, Galatians 1. Um, in the book of Galatians, Paul is faced with two uh, major issues here. Um, one, uh, false teachers are creeping into the church, and they're, they're teaching a gospel of works-based salvation. And then the second thing is, is that they're also questioning Paul as an apostle. Now, these two problems go hand in hand, and, and, and one is really convenient in kind of building their case for the other, because if Paul's apostleship is in question, then his authority is in question. And if his authority is in question, then his gospel of salvation through faith in Jesus Christ is in question. And this obviously makes things easier for these, for these false teachers to come in and force salvation by works on the Galatian churches. Because what Paul said really just doesn't matter anymore because he's not an apostle. He has no authority. You don't really need to listen to what he says. You need to kind of, let, let's add works to this salvation. It's not just about faith in Jesus Christ. There's a work to add to it, and we'll get to that just here in a second. So Paul begins this letter with a greeting that builds a case for the Jesus Christ that not only saves sinners, but also the Jesus Christ that gave him the authority uh, as an apostle. So Galatians 1 says that Paul, an apostle, not from men, nor through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father, who raised him from the dead, and all the brothers who are with me, to the churches of Galatia, grace to you and peace from God our Father and Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age, according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. So he's going to go on in chapter 1 and part of chapter 2 to kind of unpack this more. Um, for the sake of time, I'm not going to get into all that. I'm, I'm really kind of going to really deal, just deal with one particular thing, but I want, I want to just establish what's going on here. Um, his letter begins here by explaining that this apostleship wasn't something from man. It wasn't something that man did. It wasn't something that man um, authorized him to go out and do. He wasn't representing a group of men or a particular man. It was all about um, Jesus Christ. It came directly through Christ, and it says God the Father. So to be an apostle of Jesus Christ meant that when you spoke, you spoke as as his representative, and you came with his authority. So when an apostle of Christ spoke, you needed to listen because they came with the message and with the authority of Jesus Christ. Paul here wants to make it clear that he has an authority that was not of his own or of any other man, but it came straight from God himself. Then if you move on to verse 3 and 4, he offers his typical blessing of grace and peace. And, and it's grace and peace that also has its source from God. His apostleship is from God. This grace and peace that I'm extending to you, the Galatian churches, is also finding its source in God. And he goes a little deeper. Um, it, it's through Christ who willingly gave his life for their sins to deliver them from this evil age. So without Christ's willing sacrifice, grace and peace 
would not be possible. Deliverance from sin would not be possible. And this greeting ends with all this being made possible because of, ultimately, the will of God. The Father had a plan to sacrifice His Son to deal with the issue of sin and death. It wasn't man's work that would save Him. It was God's work through Christ so that in the end, God receives, as it says, the glory forever and ever. Amen. So Paul, right from the beginning, just in his greeting, is making it clear that the gospel that he preached came from God. He goes on after um, his greeting here to challenge how quickly that the Galatian churches were willing to walk away from the gospel that saved them and that... um, that, and, and that they turned to something else. They turned to a, a different gospel. The gospel of grace that was preached to them was uh, one that simply required that they have a repentant heart and they turn in faith to Jesus Christ. A gospel that was simply yet profoundly believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. It was Jesus plus nothing, which becomes kind of a, of a theme for how he deals with this in greater detail throughout this book of Galatians. So we're going to move on from there and we're going to jump to Galatians 2, verse 15. And I'm not going to go and we're going to kind of quickly um, go through Galatians 2, 15 through 14, which is what Jonathan read to you earlier. I'm not going to read it all again, so I'm just going to kind of start and dive right into it. And... Uh, See what we can kind of unfold here. Verse 15, 2.15. It says, We ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners. So Paul, he comes, he starts here with, I'm coming to you as a man who lived under the law. So from birth. I was, I was taught the law, I lived it, I was trained according to it. I'm, I'm a Jew, and I, I'm a Jew in every sense of the word. The other apostles are the same. So he, he's, he's building this case that he's a Jew by birth, and we read elsewhere, he says that, for you have heard of my former life in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God violently and tried to destroy it. And I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my people. So extremely zealous was I for the traditions of my father. So the the point is, is he's saying, I'm a Jew here and I'm a Jew that's born under the law, trained under the law. I'm, you know, we live the law. The law is our life and it's been our life from day one. And then he goes on to verse 16. Yet, even as Jews living according to the law here, he's saying, we know that a person is not justified and what justified means is it's, it's the idea of being declared righteous. It's not anything that you did. You're not justified because, you know, you, you were a good person or as, their point, as Paul's pointing out here that you obeyed the law. You're declared righteous. You're justified not by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus. And that's all we ask of you, is that that you believe. Even as Jews who are born under the law, who have lived the law, who have been trained in the law, we didn't ask 
you guys to follow the law. We asked you to simply believe, to trust and put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ as Lord. Trust in his work, his death, burial, and resurrection on your behalf. That's all we did as Jews, and that's all we're asking of you. And, and do that in order, he says, to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law. Because by works of the law, no one will be justified. No one will be made righteous. Why can't anyone be made righteous by following the law? Well, the reason is the issue of sin. And that's what the whole gospel and what Jesus Christ came to deal with. If you could be justified by keeping the law, then we'll find out here, he, he goes on to say that what was the point of Christ even dying? He didn't need to die. You just need to be good. Just be good enough and live a perfect life. And in doing that, you'll be made righteous. You will please God with your good works. So the teaching here that is ultimately sweeping the church, these false teachers were telling the Gentiles that they had to receive the circumcision of the Jews in order to be saved. It was Jesus plus keeping the law. So it wasn't just simply faith. You had to add something to that faith. You have to do along with it. So they had already dealt with the issue of faith in Christ, but now they're going to work to make their salvation complete. In, in order to do that, they have to bring in the works. Let's bring in the circumcision. Unless you do that, you're not really saved. It's not complete. And Paul, is the point he's trying to make here is, is no. It's, it's Jesus plus nothing. He goes in on verse 17. He says, but if in our endeavor to be justified in Christ, we too were found to be sinners, is Christ then a servant of sin? Certainly not. The issue here in verse 17 is, is a common argument against Christianity, one that we still oftentimes hear today. It's, it's like this. If, if I'm made righteous simply by faith in Christ and works have nothing to do with it, then believing in Christ gives us an excuse to continue on in sin. Just believe and then do whatever you want because Jesus took care of it. But Paul says this isn't the case. Verse 18, he says, For if I rebuild what I tore down, I prove myself to be a transgressor. Adding works to your faith isn't going to fix the problem addressed here in verse 17. Paul's point here is if, if you go back to the law, if you, if you rebuild what faith in Christ tore down, he's saying that the law is going to do the same thing that it did before. It's just going to prove that you're a transgressor. It's going to prove that you have broken it. It's going to prove that you're a sinner. And that you can't possibly keep the law of a perfect and holy God. So it's, it's not going to... Uh, adding the law into this faith isn't going to keep me from sinning. It's only going to do what it did before and expose my sinfulness then listen to what Paul says here next in verse 19. For through the law, I died to the law so that I might live to God. The law leads to death. It exposes our sinfulness. Paul is saying, I died to that law. I died to that law so that I might be set free to live for God. 
Turn real quickly to Romans chapter 7. Romans 7, verse 1, and I'm going to read 1 through 6. Or do you not know, brothers, for I am speaking to those who know the law, that the law is binding on a person only as long as he lives? For a married woman is bound by law to her husband while he lives. But if her husband dies, she is released from that law of marriage. Accordingly, she will be called an adulteress if she lives with another man while her husband is alive. But if her husband dies, she is set free from that law. And if she marries another man, she is not an adulteress. Likewise, my brothers, you also have died to the law through the body of Christ, so that you may belong to another, to him who has been raised from the dead, in order that we may bear fruit for God. For while we were living in the flesh, our sinful passions aroused by the law were at work in our members to bear fruit for death. But now we are released from the law, having died to that which held us captive so that we serve in the new way of the Spirit, and not in the old way of the written code. So like the marriage covenant, the old covenant, the law, the Mosaic law, was binding on a person as long as, as long as he lived under that law. They were intended to keep it, and they were intended to keep it perfectly. What that meant was as long as they lived under that law as sinners, they stood guilty for breaking the covenant because no one could possibly meet God's perfect standard of righteousness. But God made a way out of the old covenant in a way that would set a person free from guilt and from pun the punishment of death that came with breaking God's law. And that was through someone dying and taking the punishment that was required in their place. Someone that would have kept the law perfectly, and that person was Jesus Christ. So through faith in Christ, Paul was saying here in Romans that we're identified with him in his death, we're identified with him in his resurrection. We've been raised to new life in his resurrection. We're no longer bound to the old way because there's a death that's taken place. So we've been released from that law to go and to enter into this, as Romans 7 referred to, this new relationship. We're binding ourselves to another. You are free to go be bound to another. So, But we're not binding ourselves to a set of rules again. We're binding ourselves to a person. And that person is Jesus Christ. So you're set free from that law because of death, because of Christ's death, and because you identifying yourself in that death, and you enter into this relationship with Jesus. And if you'll jump back to Galatians now, chapter 2, verse 20, this is why he goes on in verse 20 here to say, I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not nullify the grace of God, for if righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. So Paul's answer here to that argument um, 
back in verse uh, 17 was that if we don't the argument that if we throw the law into faith, we'll have this excuse to continue to sin is no. And the reason I'm, that I'm not going to sin is because, one, as we've already established, I've been declared righteous by God through faith in Jesus Christ. But not only that, I've entered into this new binding relationship, this relationship through Jesus Christ, His Son, that has set me free to want to live for God because He lives in me. So it's no longer about... The, what you ought to do it's about what you want to do because of this new relationship that you have through Jesus Christ Galatians 3 goes on to say oh foolish Galatians who has bewitched you it was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified let me ask you only this did you receive the spirit by works of the law or by cheering with faith. You hear the gospel. You hear that Jesus Christ has died for you. He paid the penalty for you, your sins. He bought your freedom. He granted you this righteousness. And you believed and you received the Spirit of God. What more do you want? Was the reality of the Spirit in you not enough to prove that your faith in Christ was enough? Or maybe you actually did something to receive it. What, what is it that you did to receive the Spirit? Was it faith? Or did you add something to it? He's essentially saying, tell me, you fools, what it is. How did you receive the Spirit of God? And the answer, we, we don't see the answer here, but it's obvious that the answer is we just believed. You go back to Acts and you see, they just believed. That was it. He preached the gospel and people believed in the message. And the Spirit of God came. And it came with rejoicing and signed gifts. It was evident that the Holy Spirit had entered into their life. And verse 3 goes on. Are you so foolish? Having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? Again, he calls them foolish for their thinking. He's also called them bewitched. Somebody must have put a spell on you. How is it that you receive the Spirit of God? How is it that you receive such a great power from God that was very clear? God living through you. How is it that you receive this power and you fall back on doing things yourself? Working to finish what Christ started. They know what happened at their conversion. There was no mistaking what took place. Yet somehow they've managed to buy into the lie that they now have to add works to their salvation to be perfected. But Paul is wanting them to see that just as they were saved by faith and they received the Spirit, they are now to live in the same faith and power of the Spirit in their everyday lives. And that Christ is going to finish what he started. 2 Corinthians 1, uh, 12 and 22, it says, Now it is God who makes both us and you stand firm in Christ. He anointed us. He set his seal of ownership on us. He put his spirit in our hearts as a deposit, a guaranteeing of what is to come. So these Galatians, they received the Spirit of God, and 
according to 2 Corinthians, when you receive the Spirit of God, it's a guarantee that Christ is going to do what He set out to do. He's going to finish the work. And Paul wants him to understand that there's nothing you can do to perfect yourself. You can't add anything to this. And just to breeze through the rest, through 14, Paul goes on in verse 4 um, through 14 of chapter 3 to kind of elaborate on this more. He points out that that um, that Abraham, even though he lived under the old covenant, he was considered righteous by God, not because he kept the law, for no one would ever keep the law perfectly other than Christ, but because he believed in the promise that God had made, the, that, that he would bless the nations through him, the promise that pointed to Jesus Christ, the one from the family of Abraham that would bring the, the promise to fulfillment and that he would bless the nations by coming to die and set us free from this problem of sin and death. Abraham wasn't justified because he worked. He believed what God had revealed to him about the promise and about the coming Messiah. And there's a lot more to cover. But we're going to stop here in Galatians and just open up some just questions and thought about our need to be constantly reminded for our need for the gospel. Um, Paul's way of dealing with this situation was very common to the way that he dealt with everything. In Galatians 6, 14, but far be it from me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. 1 Corinthians 2, verse 2 says, For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. 1 Corinthians 15, 1 and 2 says, Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel that I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved. If you hold fast to the word I preach to you, unless you believe in vain. So, from these verses and from Galatians, in evangelism, and Paul preached to these people before, evangelistically he preached the gospel to them as lost sinners. In evangelism, his answer was preach the gospel. In discipleship, now he's coming along here in Galatians and he's going back to these believers and, and this, is, this is his way of shepherding them and loving them and discipling them, pushing them on in the truth to see them mature in their relationship with Christ. So in discipleship, he preached the gospel to redeemed saints. So in evangelism, he preached the gospel to lost sinners. In, in discipleship, he preached the gospel to redeemed saints. Paul's answer was always to point his listeners to Jesus Christ. In this letter, he points to Jesus Christ as being the better life-giving way for these people to get caught up in works-based righteousness would not only lead to a distortion of the gospel, but a long life of living in guilt for not performing well, robbing them of the life that they were intended to have free from the guilt and the condemnation. Instead, they would live in constant reminder of, of how sinful that they are. 
Because that's life under the law. That's what life under the law does. It just reminds us of our guilt. It doesn't give freedom to live in Christ. It constantly reminds you that you are not good enough to please God. And he's saying that as Christians, you don't have to live that way anymore. There was a time for that. We all need to understand that we can't please God. And there's nothing that we can do to ever please God. There is a sense in which we are not good enough. But it's because God is perfect and holy in every way. And we are not. So there is a place for that. But as Christians, that's not true anymore. And we know that. But we forget. We get busy. We want results. We want change now. And so we end up not much different from Galatians today. There's lots of other things that contribute to this. The rise of fundamentalism in the early 20th century led to lots of good things within the church. A strong stance on the inerrancy of Scripture and a strong stance on the very things that Paul is even fighting for here in Galatians and and all throughout his letters. Like the foundational gospel truths of Jesus Christ fundamentalism brought in just a a strong stance to stand for those things but with it came a hard push to adherence to the truth which in and of itself doesn't really sound like a bad thing the bible does demand adherence to its truth and it and it does so without compromise but it ends up turning out like what these false teachers were doing to these galatian churches a hard push to conform to the set of rules what was intended to be good in the fundamentalist movement ended up being much like the adhering to the law in order to please God. We still have Christ in it, but the push is on the living the truth, not the faith in the one who is the truth. And this leads to a lot of things. Legalism that says if you don't follow the rules, you're in sin, you need to repent, you need to obey, but very little, if any, love, grace, and truth that is lived out and rooted in people because of an outpouring of this freedom that they now have in Jesus Christ. And the result of this is a church that has grown to be performance-driven, which leads individuals to be performance-driven. Just do it, and God will be happy. Do more. It's all about the works and less about Jesus more about ministries to solve more problems, more teaching to push more adherence, and the end result is burnout or guilt for not doing enough or being involved enough. It really becomes a keeping up with the Christian Joneses. And it also leads to feeling defeated. You hear the rules and you try really hard to keep them, and you read your Bibles and you pray and you work really hard to be involved, and yet you're still falling apart inside, or your marriages are still in shambles. You've been doing everything that you were told. People who are led that way begin to hate the institution of the church, and lots of movements have kind of started out of that. If you're familiar with the emergent church, this is kind of one of the things that they're trying to break away from. is the legalism and the things that, are, that creep into the church. Their fundamentalist backgrounds and the pushing to this strong adherence to truth. But yet very little Jesus Christ. 
And outside the church, it feeds a fear for the people to even step inside the church. You, you hear comments like, well, if I go in that place, the roof is going to fall in on me. How many times have you heard that? How many times have you shared the gospel with somebody or invited them to church and they say, well, I need to clean up my life first? You think we really didn't have something to do with that kind of thinking? We did because we oftentimes live the same way. We've had people even recently come here and I've heard stories of not, not specifically about problems here at the church, but other churches that they have visited and where they were pretty much shunned for the way that they dress. People who fear going to church because they don't dress a certain way or they have anything decent to wear, as I've heard so many times. They don't meet the standard is what they think. Why would they even think that there's such a strong adherence to a standard in the first place? Because we did that. So rather than do more, pray more, read your Bible more, repent more, we as Christians need to be reminded of our ongoing need for the gospel. This time, it's not about conversion. As Christians, that's done and that's taken care of. We are, as Paul is talking about here, we've been declared righteous. We are justified because of Christ and our faith in Christ. So this time, it's not about conversion, but an ongoing need to trust Christ for transformation. Rather than trying to simply live this life by doing all the right stuff and going through the motions of the church and being in the Bible study groups and serving in every ministry we can get our hands on because we think that's the stuff that pleases God, we continue to turn to Christ as the one that pleased God on our behalf. And those things aren't wrong in and of themselves. But when they become the standard of what Christianity is supposed to be about, they are wrong. And it's, as Paul is talking about here, you've gone on to believe another gospel. A gospel that says, if I just work good enough in the church, then all is well. It is a different gospel, and it's a false gospel. We continue to turn to Christ, the one that pleased God, and, and knowing and trusting that He is going to finish what He started, even when we mess up, even when we struggle with sin. Falling on Him as the one that says there is no guilt here. Even in your sin, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. You don't have to do it all. I love you because you belong to my Son. That's good enough. You belong to my Son. I end with this brief summary that answers the question of why Christians need the gospel. Christians need the gospel because it reminds us that life with Christ is always Jesus plus nothing. He is everything and all we need for salvation, and he will be all that we need for sanctification. So, sanctification meaning that he's making us righteous. He didn't just declare us righteous, he's also making us righteous day in and day out. We need to be reminded of the gospel as Christians because it's Jesus plus nothing. He will do that work. Christians need the gospel because it reminds us that life with Christ is always freedom to live for and obey God. It's not about our obligation or our gaining favor with God. It is our pleasure because life with Christ brings with it a new desire to want to please God, not an ought to please God. 
Christians need the gospel because it reminds us that life with Christ is always life with the Spirit. Life with the Spirit means our transformation and future glorification is a done deal. I don't have to add to it. He that began a good work in you is going to bring it to completion. And joining with Paul, we as Christians need to be reminded of the gospel because that is a life with Christ that always says, it's no longer about me doing, it's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. Lord, thank you for Jesus. Thank you that you are enough. Thank you for reminding me that I can't do it. Thank you for reminding me that I don't have to do it. And Lord, I understand that that doesn't mean that there are things that you call me to obey and to do. and you know, That there are sins that you call me to repent of. Lord, because of Christ, I want to do it. Pray that your church would treasure you above all other things, above even good things. There's nothing greater than you. Thank you for being the Messiah that came to save and set sinners free from death and set sinners free from works. Thank you for being the Lord and King that reigns over all things and assures us that, that you sovereignly work and act and move in our lives and in the world around us. And there's nothing that we do that surprises you. There's no sin that catches you off guard. You're God. You know all things. Thank you for your son, his death on our behalf. Thank you that you so willingly died on our behalf. And thank you that that you did that even though we didn't deserve it. While we were sinners, you died for us. And Lord, I pray this morning that if there is anyone here, whether they be a believer or whether they be uh, someone who's unsaved, just seeking. Maybe they came in here this morning and they had no plan to seek. They were just invited, thought it'd be a cool thing to do, nice thing to do with their friends. Lord, I pray that you would show to them that you would open up their hearts in a way that they see that there is a God who loves them, that they would see their sinfulness, they would see that they cannot meet your standard, and that they don't have to because you sent your son Jesus Christ to die on their behalf. And not only did he die, he rose from the grave showing that he has the power over life and death, showing that he is God. And Lord, I pray that this morning that they would turn from themselves, from their sin, and they would believe in the Lord Jesus and be saved. In your name I pray, amen.